0: The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. So as Bill was mentioning earlier, we've, we're kind of in the bit of the uh, wedding and graduation se- season, uh, which means that if you're going to any sort of festivities or parties, um, you're going to events where people are reliving a lot of accomplishments or funny stories or memories or giving awkward toasts about um, embarrassing stories that, the participants would rather not be said in public. Um, my brother's getting married next week, and I'm trying to think of the best sort of, uh, if I should, uh, share awkward or funny stories. Um, like the time where I was golfing, and he walked up behind me, and I swung the golf club around and just whacked him on the head. Um, <laughs> maybe not the best thing to be sharing, questioning his mental stability as he's getting married or something like that. <laughs> but um there's a lot of just, you you do these review with graduation and and weddings you do review right you kind of look back at what you have accomplished or what's been going on and um tonight as we are ending exodus we're going to do a bit of a review if you guys are cool with that we're just going to kind of we're going to overview the book of exodus because we have entitled this whole series exodus the gospel according to Moses um And I believe that God put the book of Exodus as the primary story of the Old Testament to show us the gospel. And what I want to do is to talk about what have we seen about the gospel as we've been working through the book of Exodus. Um, And maybe uh, I do not expect you guys to have remembered um, any or all of my sermons (laughs) on the book. But I want to do this as a review to look through it, and I want to start out by just kind of asking, what is, what is the gospel, right? If we're saying Exodus, the gospel according to Moses, um, that's a bit of some Christianese. What does the gospel even mean? What, is, what does that word mean for us? Um, you could define the gospel several ways. Um, I'm sure it's actually a great conversation for our small groups at one point just to say, hey, what does the gospel mean? And not just kind of, not do it in like the, what does the gospel mean to you? No, what does the Bible say the gospel means? Um, And just to throw out a few definitions, right? None of these are uh, written in the Bible, but just some good uh, definitions I thought I'd throw out there. Uh, Tim Keller defines the gospel this way. The gospel is the good news that through Christ, the power of God's kingdom has entered history to renew the whole world. When we believe and rely on Jesus' work and record, rather than ours, for our relationship to God, the kingdom power comes upon us and begins to work through us. That's a pretty good definition, right? It, it captures us God's, God's work to seek and save us, um, and then God uh, relates to us only because of Jesus, and God uses us to spread his kingdom power through the world. John Piper throws it this way, the gospel is the good news that Jesus Christ, the righteous one, died for our sins and rose again eternally triumphant over all his enemies so that there is now no condemnation for those who believe but only everlasting joy right said in the only way that john piper can emphasizing joy right emphasizing that god seeks his glory um by the work of jesus on the cross and we find joy eternally increasing forever and ever in jesus um Those are pretty good definitions, right? Maybe just a simple one. Um, The gospel is that God saves sinners, like you and me, through Jesus. We can keep adding to it, right? The reason the Bible is so big is that uh, the gospel is kind of like a diamond. You can always find new facets of what God has done to save broken, sinful, weary, weak people like us. See God's glory because God's glory is always going to be like a diamond, always looking at different facets. Through in the book of Exodus, we have largely seen um, pictures, kind of like a picture book. Like my kids are little, all we have, we have uh, probably like two libraries full of picture books telling different stories of various qualities. Um, But through the picture, you know, Exodus, like a picture book, right? The gospel is a bit veiled query there, pointing, right? It is God comes to rescue us by his own power and his own way for our joy, for the fame of his own name. But we're seeing through the book of Exodus that God comes to save us through Jesus um, according to his own plan uh, to save us without our power involved because we can't save ourselves to liberate us from Satan's sin and death to be a trophy for his name. Um, and so what I want to do is as we think about the gospel as this diamond, right, that we kind of look and see different facets of, I just want to go through and do a review of the book of Exodus, just to kind of look at it from different angles and see what is God showing? What do we see? What do we see about God's glory? The goodness of God, the, the, the news that God comes to seek and save people who are broken and weary like us. And then we'll, we'll, uh, we'll finish up by looking at a couple points from Exodus 40. Um, And what I want to do is actually, I put this together for us. You guys, um, it's Exodus, the Gospel according to Moses. This sheet, it's on the back, um, because I figured I didn't want you guys rushing to take notes, and it's something you can take back. It's a bit of an overview of the book of Exodus, but I'm just going to work through this. I'm just going to point out chapter by chapter kind of what we saw in the book of Exodus, and you guys can take this home and study it, um, or think through it, and we can talk. But we started back in the book of Exodus. Remember, book of Exodus chapter 1, we started out with um, things not going according to plan, right? God's people, they were uh, supposed to inherit this massive land that God had promised to Abraham in the book of Genesis. Genesis ends with them beginning to leave and uh, start living in Egypt, right? So we pick up in chapter 1 of of Exodus, and that is where... um, it seems like God has forgotten them, right? They've been there for over 400 years, and um, they're having babies like crazy, um, but it seems like God's forgotten them. Well, the first thing we see is that the, the gospel, though it's unseen in chapter 1 of Exodus, that God is faithful to his promises. Remember, they were, they were having kids, and they were flourishing because God was faithful to his promises, not because there was anything special about them, um, but that God is faithful to his promises. And that even when we do not see God, and we do not think that God sees us, uh, Christ is faithful. Christ is faithful to us and for us, even when we're not. So then we pick up in chapter 2 of Exodus. Exodus. The gospel, uh, we see gospel compassion, right? This is the chapter that talks about all the stuff. Remember how Pharaoh is like, throw all their, their male children. We want to exterminate these guys. They're becoming a problem. They're a political force that we don't want to deal with. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to get rid of all their, kid, all their boys, and we're going to marry off all their daughters, and we're going to just get rid of the nation. But remember, God heard their, their, their cries, he heard their, their pleas for his help, for him to fulfill his promises. And remember, he actually gave them a little bit of some wisdom to kind of uh, finagle, right? Remember the whole, um, sorry, our women are stronger than the Egyptian women, and they have babies faster than the midwives can get there, that whole bit? That's God's compassion in their lives, right? God, God hears our suffering, right? That's what we were looking at in chapter 2 of Exodus. God hears our suffering. He hears our cries for mercy. He hears our cries for help. And in the gospel, we see that Christ walks beside us in our suffering. I mean, we looked at, we've talked about Hebrews 4 a good bit. Christ knows our temptations and weaknesses. He knows what it's like to cry. He knows what it's like to suffer. So we see that in chapter 2 of Exodus. Chapter 3, the go- we see gospel name. And I just, I, what I mean by this is that this is the burning bush chapter, right? We all talk about having a burning bush experience This is the burning bush chapter where Moses is, uh, tries to to save God's people in his own name, in his own power, uh, becomes a murderer in the process and leaves Egypt, (laughs) runs out into the desert and becomes a shepherd and then he meets God face to face through a burning bush. And in that burning bush, God says, this is my name. I am gracious and merciful and I fulfill my promises and I'm faithful, but I do it in my own way and not in your power. So we see that God is sovereign and gracious in chapter 3 of Exodus because he loves to save sinners. That's what grace means, right? God's posture, God's eagerness to save and to bless people who don't deserve it. Moses, in chapter 3, just like us, does not deserve it. Moses was a murderer by hand, but we're all murderers in heart. We uh, are glory thieves from God, and we don't love to give God what he deserves, just like Moses. And yet God graciously comes down to use us for his own name's sake. And then chapters four through six, this is where Moses goes back in Exodus. He goes back to God's people with this new mission, right? God's coming. He's fulfilling his promises and he's going to be faithful. This is God, but we, we see in chapters four through six, gospel priorities, right? This is where uh, Israel, if you remember the story, Israel is like, yay, God's back. He's going to, you know, demolish the Egyptians. He's going to fist pump them and he's going to destroy them. Um, and so then Moses goes into God's into into Pharaoh's presence and says, uh, "Our God's called us out, and we're going to go." And Pharaoh's like, ah, "I'm not having it. No more straw. Um, make, make things a little bit harder." And the Egyptians are, or uh, Israelites are like, uh, "What gives? This is not what we were expecting." Um, God shows up to save, and things get harder. What's up with that? Well, it's because gospel the gospel priorities of God's heart. If you remember from those chapters. Is that we lean on His power and trust in His wisdom, and not our own strength and power and expectations. Right? We we expect God to work a certain way, just like they did. But God's priorities is so that we rest on Him and not our expectations. And then chapter seven through ten of Exodus, that's where um, that's the ten plagues. Right? Those those are the pretty famous chapters. Right? It's where God comes in. We're not going to recite all the plagues, but you have all the the we maybe might call it the gospel invasion of the book of Exodus where God comes in and he destroys all their different gods, right? Remember all the gods that they had and the gods, uh, gods that represented the Nile and they had gods that were represented by frogs and they had gods that were represented, um, by animals. And God comes in and destroys all those things showing that their God, their gods, the, the idols that they had were all powerless. They couldn't save anything. They couldn't save or provide for anybody, Which was drawing us to see, if you remember with me, that those idols were just expressions of their heart. We're going to actually see this later in the book of Exodus. Because though God killed the physical idols, so to speak, in Egypt, their idols were still in their hearts and left Egypt with them. But God's invasion is after the idols of our hearts because Jesus comes to the cross because he sees that though we might not be a murderer by hand, we're a murderer by heart. We might not have lied with our tongues, but we lie to ourselves or we lie about others in our own minds. We are not only um, sinners by hand and the outside, but we have idols on the the inside. And then if you remember the final plague, chapters 11 and 13 of Exodus, speak gospel atonement. Remember, this is where the fifth plague, the tenth, I'm sorry, the tenth plague comes, and that's where the, uh, the lamb must be slaughtered to save them. All of them, Bill made reference to this, to mm-hmm. Egyptians or the Israelites. All of them were guilty before God. All of them deserve God's judgment. All of them deserve the, the angel of death to come and take away their future and hope. But it was God's provision of a lamb that saved them. Remember that? He killed the lamb. Put the blood in the lentils, and the angel of death will pass right by. That's one of the clearest pictures in the Exodus story of the death of Christ, where he he offers himself as our atonement lamb, right? I mean, John chapter 1, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, whose, whose blood covers us and saves us from the wrath that we justly deserve, right? So, I mean, that's just a clear picture, right? The the gospel atonement. And then, remember, in the middle of that, we talked about the Passover meal, right? And that was God's invitation into the drama of redemption. This is the the gospel meal. This is the drama of God's story. The, The Passover meal would be practiced forever and ever because it was a reminder, it was not just a reminder of kind of like a token, like uh, we went to Disney World and here's our magnet on the fridge kind of thing, right? It's not just kind of like that sort of thing. It was actually a participation in the drama of God's redemption, his, his gospel redemption work in, in their lives, which then Jesus, right? Again, this is, we can keep going and going and going on this. Jesus takes that Passover supper, you know, the, the night before, the days before leading up to his crucifixion, and he says, now this is the true meaning. This is the, the the ongoing meaning. You're invited into the gospel of my death. Not just a Passover lamb of uh, animal that was from the herd, but Jesus Christ, who had a body like ours and a soul like ours, and took the, the wrath of God that we deserved. So that because God loves to free sinners, we could freely be invited to God's table. So when we take the Lord's Supper... We are entering into that last supper with Jesus to spiritually and in a spiritual way participate in the drama of his gospel. So that's a gospel meal. Remember that we were talking about the gospel meal of the Passover in chapter 12. In chapter 14 through 15 of Exodus, you remember this was the story where God finally breaks Pharaoh and Pharaoh lets them go. So God leads them out through. It wasn't just kind of a trivial kind of trail. It It went right through a river, or went through the Red Sea. Um, so they had a bit of an obstruction to get through, right? <laughs> a bit of some flood water, so to speak. And, G- and God uh, breaks the, the, the water in half, and they walk through on dry ground. So we might call this the gospel liberation, because what, it, what they were doing is they were leaving behind everything that had to previously defined them, right? They were slaves, and they loved Egypt, and God, by his saving power, comes in and says, no, you won't be defined by that anymore. You will be defined by my name. And he He walks them through these waters of judgment, so to speak, that destroys their enemies, right? So it's a total, complete liberation that God leads them through, right? It seems totally preposterous. Um, here's the GPS for how to get out of Egypt. How do we get out of Egypt? <laughs> um, God, there uh, happens to be some water in the way. Um, in the old days of Google Maps, uh, there was actually, you could put your marker on, um, New York and Paris and the instructions would be, uh, drive to the edge of the dock and start swimming. (laughs) I don't know if they fixed that, but, um, here we have God's, the gospel liberation of the book of Exodus is all of God's power comes in to totally sever your identity relationship with the past. So in Jesus, now we, when we are baptized, when we, when we baptize people, we're saying all of your sin all of your shame, all of your guilt, all the things that will make you want to uh, crawl into a hole and die and, be, and never want anybody to know you, <laughs> if they knew, all those things no longer define you. All the things that now define you are God's power, goodness, and graciousness, his goodness to us in Jesus. Everything about Jesus now defines you. He's, he's who you're baptized in. Remember, we saw that picture. I'm not going to preach on every one of these just because I want us to get through them. And in a timely manner. Exodus chapter 16 through 19, we see gospel feasting, right? This is where they're walking through the desert. And if you remember the story, um, the Israelites are a bit of a picture of us, <laughs> right? They get on the other side and they're like, yay, God, did you bring us out here to die in the desert? Because where's our food, <laughs> right? And then God provides them uh, water out of a rock and food, uh, miraculous bread from heaven. Uh, I mean, there's maybe some uh, archaeological and scientific ways to explain some options of how that might have happened, but the reality is there were miracles, regardless. Right? We uh, we were seeing that God provides for them water and bread. If you've ever read the Gospel of John, um, you might immediately think Jesus saying, "I am the bread of life," <laughs> and I give the Holy Spirit who is the water of life, right? Waters of life shall flow from within you, right? So we are seeing in the gospel feeding that God not only knows our needs, but he provides for our needs, right? These aren't just kind of like theological categories. These are, they, they had real needs. They had, look, God, we're about to starve to death. Uh, we just left everything. Uh, gold is great. Can't eat gold. Uh, God, we need water. We're in the desert, God knows their needs. He actually planned for them to need those needs. God knows your needs. And in the gospel, right, we don't have to shimmy God to be gracious to us. Uh, we don't have to get God on our side. The gospel is that God freely loves to bless us. And he freely, freely provides for our needs. So we see Genesis in chapter 20, or chapter 16 through 19, or 16 through 19, they're walking towards a mountain, if remember that part of the story. And then chapter 20, they get up to Mount Sinai. Right? Or Sinai, depending on kind of how you're taught to, tr- to say the word. And that's where we get the Ten Commandments, right? Remember the big stone tablets who walks down. These this is the moment where um God uh God graciously tells them what he's like and what his people will be like because of his grace. Remember this before we get to the Ten Commandments, that Exodus chapter twenty, verse one and two. He reminds them of his saving, gracious power in them. And then he tells them what he's like and what he, what he wants them to be like, right? Ten Commandments come in the context of grace. So his, his grace writes those laws now by the Holy Spirit. He writes them on our heart, right? So what is God writing in your heart? Look at the Ten Commandments at least. <laughs> to love God, <laughs> to love our neighbors as ourselves. That's what the Holy Spirit's writing on our hearts now in Jesus. Because now when we come to God and he saves us, his gracious power graciously shapes us and writes the law of God on our hearts so that we can now obey God, right? That's a part of the, if you're thinking about this and you're like, well, what do we do with this story? Well, part of the story is that now we get to know and obey God. Like not just kind of like um, in external ways, but now in our heart. We begin to not, not want to uh, say mean things about the person who cut us off in traffic um, or um, lust after people, or to use other people, or to demean other people with our words, now, now our heart, truly, in Jesus, is able to, to obey God, right? And a part of the gospel is to say, um, our hearts don't perfectly obey, but now we're, we're truly obeying. And th- that gives us hope, right? That if you feel like, man, I'm just I'm a dirtbag, that I can't obey God. Well, if you're in Jesus, um, first off, uh, yes, you are. And secondly, um, if you're not as bad as you think you are, uh, but God actually loves you, not to uh, help you obey, to earn his love, but because he loves you, he is now writing the law of God in your heart so that you're, you have hope that you're not the one that's trying to make yourself better before God, but because God loves you in Jesus, he's shaping and molding you. So again, so we could keep, again we're not going to keep going on and on. You can go back and listen to those sermons if you want. Exodus chapter 21 through 31, right? We of get Once we get past Mount Sinai, um we're kind of talking about broad brush stro- bro- broad brush strokes of the last 20 or so chapters of the book of exodus so chapter twenty one to thirty one if you remember these are all um, there's a section of that that we skipped over um, just entirely i admit chapter twenty one through forty twenty one through twenty four um they're all kind of additional um, kind of like case law application of the t- the ten commandments and then you get to chapter twenty four through thirty one and it's all the tabern- tabernacle remember that we we're talking this gospel housing right what do we look at there we saw oh look here's the outer court of god's presence like he invites the nations to come into him we have to purify our hands we have to wash our hands to go into his presence right the cleansing that we need and Then And you go into the tabernacle and what do you see it's the, the 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 menorah right the 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 ten or i'm sorry the seven lights right he is the light of the world right because because you imagine you're in the tabernacle and it's just kind of like being imagine you're like in a little sphere in outer space it's totally dark but here you have this one light in front of you and the glistening of the gold, the stars, you're entering into God's cosmic throne room. And how do you get into God's presence? We well, have to have atonement because you can't come near to God because we're sinners and he's holy and separate, but he calls us near. So the gospel housing is that God is providing for us a way to come near and be with him. Right? That's a clear picture to Jesus who was the tabernacle. Remember John one fourteen. God came down, God the Son, took on flesh, and what did he do? He tabernacled among us. He dwelt among us. God loves to dwell with his people. So gospel, the gospel housing of the book of Exodus is how God is providing for us to be near him. Chapter 32, gospel holiness. This is another, again, the book of Exodus is full of all these famous stories. Remember, this is a golden calf. Pastor Jeff preached on this. Um, and the reality is, um, this is one of my the more kind of silly stories in some ways of Oh, well, we threw the gold into the fire and out popped this golden calf. I don't know, God. <laughs> seems kind of, I'm not sure how they said that with a straight face, but the reality is they're expressing our hearts. I'm not sure why I just really want people to love me, God, but it's just the way I am, and I'm really going to do everything I can to make sure that people love me and accept me for who I am. We have idols of our own hearts, and God exposes them. And gospel holiness, that, that that chapter, is that God hates the idols that we love in our hearts. God, God will expose those. Remember, we, we touched on this before because they had idols in Egypt and they might have destroyed the, uh, the physical guys, but they left Egypt with their own hearts. And that's what God's after, right? A lot, of, a lot of our life together as a church is going after our hearts and saying, God, I must repent of demanding that people love me the way I, was, I must be loved, I must repent of those idols. God's going after those idols in our hearts. But that's why God gives us the Holy Spirit now in Jesus. So that we can put to death the deeds of the heart and the body. Exodus 33, gospel media. This is where after they have the whole um, golden calf thing, remember that? Moses goes up and he begs God, God, you must, you must forgive us. Because if you don't, um, your name will be defamed through all the world. We we must, you must go with us. You can't send your angel with us. We need you, yourself, your presence with us. So Moses is pleading before God for these weak and sinful people. That sounds a lot like Jesus. (laughs) Sounds a lot like how Jesus is described in in the New Testament. He pleads for us before the Father. Do you ever know, you ever wonder what Jesus is thinking about you right now? what he's doing right now he's praying for you right if you ever feel like God's forgotten me I'm sorry that's not true Jesus is praying for you right now he is thinking about you by name thinking about all the needs that you have all the weariness all the baggage all the all the shame all the weaknesses the temptations that you face right now Jesus is Exodus 33 he's the better Moses the better mediator, right? He's the one going to God. God, I'm not wrestling this from your hands, but I I need specific grace for them, for you. He's doing that perfectly right now. Chapter 34 of Exodus, Gospel Promises. We're looking at how Moses was a good, great hero. Good hero, right? In terms of the Avengers, probably like Captain America, Tony Stark, one of those guys. But, God promises a complete salvation. And that salvation must be fulfilled in our hearts and not just at a code legal level. And that means that God comes and he sends Jesus to save us from ourselves. Right? They were saved from Egypt, but they still had Egypt in their heart. Chapter 35-39, through 39, this is where the, the tabernacle gets built. If you ever wonder, it's really important to kind of ask like, okay, why uh, is this story that takes up like four chapters, five chapters repeated? <laughs> because if you read Exodus, this, this, this is one of those places where Bible plans go to die, right? Chapter 24 through 31, uh, God tells them how to make the ta- tabernacle. <laughs> and then you get to 35, 39, you're like, um, repeat? Like, Is this like the greatest greatest hits again? The reason is that in between you had the golden calf and the mediator and God still loves to use broken people to build his house, right? That's the point, right? God gives them, he says, this is, this is what it means to be with me. And in the middle of that, they, they, uh, they're sinning. I mean, righteously sinning against God with the, the idolatry. And then they go, um, and then, uh, God says, Listen, I'm going to still use you to build my house, which sounds a lot like the New Testament again, doesn't it? God uses broken, sinful, weary, weird people like us, <laughs> with all of our weird needs and gifts, and actually He gives us His Holy Spirit to give us, give us gifts to serve each other. Right? Remember we looked at that in that story. Remember how He gave the two artists? You ever wonder like what does God give art for? Because God loves beautiful things, and He loves to use us to make us beautiful, and to use us to make beautiful things for Him. Right? So. All the things, all the, the ways you're wondering, like, how can I serve at King's Cross? Well, I mean, uh, God's given you a gift, and let's figure it out and use that to serve each other, right? That, God uses broken people like us to serve and build his church. And then we get to chapter 40, right? We're going to close. This is the end of the summary. <laughs> if you're ever wondering, when is this going to be over? Exodus 40. This is where God's presence come down, comes down and dwells with them. Remember, we started the book of Exodus. Where's God? We're ending the book of Exodus. Here's God. God comes down, and he delights to dwell among his people. And he sends us out on his mission. So as we've been looking at these different aspects of the gospel, we're seeing God God is a gracious God. And when we say grace and gracious and merciful, and when we say gospel, we mean something that takes a whole book to give us a picture book for and a whole 66 books of them to help us kind of delve into that, right? Because The rest of the Old Testament largely is thinking and dwelling upon the book of Exodus. God, what does this mean for us? How do we live in light of this? So what do we do from here? As we kind of finish off the book of Exodus, how do we finish this off? Maybe this is some self-counseling up here, but um, my mind has been drawn to Psalm 103, and um, a lot lately, and uh, I'm going to read this for you, Um, you can turn there if you want, but I think Psalm 103 gets us into the key of Exodus 40 here. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Remember, there's a point in the story of Exodus where God says he carried them out of Egypt on eagles' wings. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed, like the people of the book of Exodus. He made known his ways to Moses, He acted his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are from the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. For as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame, and he remembers that we are dust. I think as we think about the book of Exodus, as we think, how do we end the book of Exodus? Psalm 103, verse 2, "'Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits.'" I think the reason we have the book of Exodus in here is so that we do not forget the glory of God in the gospel. Do we not we that we do not forget God's goodness to us, his grace to us. We do not forget to grow in gratitude for the magnitude of God's grace in Jesus. I think that the main point that we should take away as we look as we're closing up the book of Exodus is gratitude for all that God has done for us in Jesus. All the gratitude that I... Oh, <laughs> I made these slides and not Jay. I was wondering why people were laughing. <laughs> Thankfully, uh, I won't get struck... I don't think I'll get struck down for that one. Um, if you were to insert mentally a, a D there, zone in with me. To, gr- to, to, to not forget what God has done for us, to save us from ourselves save us from our, his wrath, and to save us to himself. So here's what I want to do. I want to look at the book of Exodus, just these last few verses in chapter 40, and talk about getting out and getting in. Because the whole book of Exodus is about getting out of Egypt. So we're going to look at here, Exodus 40, verse 33. Verse 33. All right, so they have just been through the ta- building the tabernacle right but it, so we had the, the architecture plans then he had the foreman on the ground Moses doing it and then we come to verse 33 and he that is Moses erected the court around the tabernacle and the altar and set up the screen of the gate <clears throat> of the court so Moses finished the work So, here we come to the end of the book of Exodus and it says, point blank, and Moses finished the work. Here was God leading his people out of Egypt on this redemption mission to dwell with him and to be with him and Moses finishes the work. This is calling back to, um, the, the, the phrase is calling back to actually Genesis 2, where God creates the world establishes it, sets it up, puts man in his place, dwells with him, and it is finished, right? <laughs> he dwells among, this is in the book of Exodus, we're seeing God redo this story because he is, he is leading his people out to save them, right? To return to, the, to Eden, right? To return, to be with him, to dwell with him, to be near him and to be in his presence. But it is, uh, it's not quite the end of the story, is it? Right? It's good, right? This is, this is good, that God has brought them out and brought them near but it's it's not complete because we've seen ourselves too many times in the story haven't we we've seen ourselves um, just like Moses and the people of Israel who are still bumbling silly sinful, weak um, their hearts are still with them and their hearts have not been changed Right. God is the main character of this story. Their getting out of Egypt has been because God is the one that continues to pursue them. God is the one that's been faithful all the way through the story. Even Moses, uh, later on, if you remember, there's a moment where in the book of Numbers where he's, God, would you provide for us yet again? And then he gets angry and strikes the rock when he should have just spoken to the rock. And God says, okay, you can't go into my promised land because of this. Even Moses is flawed, but God is the only one who has shown through this whole story be perfect, blameless, totally, uh, totally faithful. All right? God is the one who is helping people who cannot help themselves through this whole story. All right? The people in the story are jerks, just like you and me, and God is the one who has been gracious to save and help those who do not deserve it. I think when we look at these people in Moses in the book of Exodus, we see people um, who are being drawn to the end of themselves. A part of the gospel is that the gospel works to help us get tired of ourselves. Right? We, we are drawn out of trusting in ourselves. We are supposed to feel tired of who we are. It's not to say oh, you're the worst person ever created or that God doesn't love you. Or that God doesn't care about you, but we, part of the gospel is to say, it's God's power alone, and God's graciousness alone, and his goodness that comes and makes a relationship with you. It's not, it's not anything about you, right? We should be tired of ourselves. I, I think this is something I've been thinking about lately. I just so, I struggle with the same, just like these people in the story. I struggle with the same things that I struggled 10 years ago, or 15 or 20 years ago. I I don't know what I struggled with before I was 10. But I struggle with the same things still. I still have the same issues. Just like the people in the book of, of this story, the only person that could save me from myself is God. The only person who can save you from yourself is God. The only way that we get out of our Egypt is by God's power, by God's goodness to, to seek you out, to save you from yourself to come to you in Jesus and say, you're, you're never going to do this on your own. You could never, never help me save you. You could never do this in your own power. But because I love you, because I want you to be free, because I don't want sin to define you, because I want you to be a part of my family, I'm going to come to you in Jesus and save you from, our, from yourself. You see, we need, it. We need a true Son of God. Remember, Israel was called the Son of God in this story. We need a true Son of God to come and save us from our Egypt. And that is how we get out in Jesus. That's how we get out of our Egypt, through Jesus. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... He or she is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And all this is from God who brought, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting the trespasses against them and entrusted to us this message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he, this is God the Father, made him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Do you hear the same story of Exodus recaptured in these verses? God would make us new. God would make you new. He is eager to make you new again. He is eager to lead you out of a land of darkness, defined by your sin and shame, defined by your trespasses and offense against God, and give you himself in Jesus, to know God face to face, to enjoy his presence with you, to be reconciled, right? That doesn't just mean like a zero account, right? That does not just mean kind of like, well, in Jesus, um, God was taking all the sins that you've ever done and kind of like blanking out the margin that you owed, right? No, no, the story of the gospel is actually that God goes over and above that, right? It ends, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. So that's canceling out all of our sin. But then what did he do? So that in him, we might become the righteousness of God, which is, which means that God treats us the way his son deserves. So that now when we come to him, we are not annoying God. God, whenever you come to him, does not say, hold on. He does not say, just a minute. Have you ever seen me with my boys? I do say that. God is a perfect father. When you come to him with your needs, God, help me, repent. God, I'm repenting. I, I don't know why I continue to do the things I don't want to do. God, help me to grow and love Jesus. He does not say, okay, I know. Give me a second. I got something else. He says, yes, I'm leading you out. I'm freeing you from your from your Egypt. I'm freeing you from all that would define you, apart from me. So, a part of the gospel story, the way we get out of Egypt, is repentance and faith. Right? Be reconciled. We implore you on behalf of Christ. Be reconciled to, to God. That the way that that's happened, you you look at yourself and you say, God, I'm tired of who I am. I'm tired of all of this. Whatever this is for you. I'm tired of all of this, and I want all of him. And and that motion of saying, I want all of him, God says, you're a part of the family. It's, that's the mystery of how all of this goes down. Looking to Jesus, looking to God's mercy in Jesus, that's how we get out of our Egypt. And, as Paul indicates here, and in the story here in Exodus, God sends us with himself, right? The getting out, we tell other people about it. <laughs> I'm tired of who I am. Are you tired of who you are? Well, Jesus is better. Let's get them together. <laughs> that's the, that's how you share the gospel with other people. I was hanging out at a place this week. Somebody saw me there, saw me reading a book, making lines. I'm like, what are you reading? It's like, well, I really struggle to be a Christian. Um, I'm really not happy about who I am. And I... I need help loving Jesus. So I'm here reading this book to help me love Jesus. She's like, really? Tell me more about that. <laughs> Come to find out, she's, she was amazed that I was a pastor. The pastor struggle? Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> you got a few hours to talk? Let's, let's talk about this. Tired of ourselves. Satisfied with Jesus. That's how we get out. And then we'll just end with talking about getting in. Right, we're not left in a neutral zone with all the minefields. We're actually going in someplace. One of the things about the Book of Exodus that we haven't talked about at this point—if um, you ever read through a commentary or anything like that on the Book of Exodus—one of the things that they'll kind of, uh, the introductions will usually kind of uh, stress about is when did this happen and who is it about, right? Which is, which is totally cool. Like I'm down with that. Archaeology never contradicts the Bible. We're cool with that. But the thing is interesting—the thing about with the book of Exodus is that it never names who Pharaoh is, right? There's speculation, about. I'm pretty sure it was like one of these two, one or two guys, but it never names them, never names who Pharaoh is, which is pretty astounding, right? You think about it, the, the Bible is very concerned about it at points, um, being historically, you know, anchored down. You read the book of Acts. I mean, there's like, go talk to so-and-so if you want to check this out, right? I mean, we can't go do that now. But the original audience, they could have. book of Exodus is not concerned about telling us who Pharaoh is. Which, which is to say that God comes to seek and save people like you and me, who are on the grand stage of world history, uh, not going to make the history books, maybe. Maybe you will. Put me in your will. <laughs> But Pharaoh, who would have been on the history books, is never. It doesn't even get a mention in terms of his name. It wasn't, you know, John Smith Pharaoh, King of Egypt. It was just President of Egypt or whatever, right? Just been just the title, right? God comes to people who are quote unimportant and passes by the people that are quote important, right? Whatever. Whatever we think about today, like we tend to think of like celebrities and politicians and CEOs and executives, they've all kind of got the inner the inner ring thing going, and they get the special power, they get the special interest meetings, they get the special invitations. God comes to ninety-nine South Mammoth Street at six twenty-five on a Saturday night, and of all places Manchester, New Hampshire, and comes to you and says, I'm here. Let's do this. <laughs> he is eager to meet with us. So when we get to the end of the book of Exodus, we read here that God does the same thing to them. Then, says so chapter 40, verse 34, Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting, because the cloud settled on it, and the glory of the Lord Filled the tabernacle. You see, this is why we're saying that the book of Exodus is unfinished. Because here at the end of the story, the main character is not able to go into God's presence. See that verse 34? Moses was not able to go in. Moses was great. He was, you know, the Tony Stark, he was the Avengers dude of the day. He had known God face-to-face. I'm going to keep using that reference, but now we're done with the book of Exodus. He was the guy that would have had a courtside entrance into God's presence. But when God's presence came near, the work of all the tabernacle and everything attached to that was insufficient to provide a free access to God's presence. He could not fully come into God's presence. When God's glory came down, remember it was a fire by night, a cloud by day, he could not go into the presence of God. It was unfinished. Which is why we're seeing in this story constant pointers. Like John the Baptist. Look to Jesus. Look look to Jesus. This This is great, but it's got a crescendo. And it's in Jesus. Right? So Jesus comes, and he is the one that, he is the presence of God. He is the one that we go to. If you want to know how to get to God, I am the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus says. You come, To the Father, you come into God's presence through me. And why is that? Hebrews chapter 10. We've been talking all about Hebrews for the last few weeks. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter... Looking at the end of the book of Exodus, that word should stick out to you. Moses was not able to enter. But now we enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. By the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh and since we have a great high priest over the house of God this, this is picking up on all the stuff that we've been reading about in the end of the book of Exodus the house of God entering into God's presence let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water you see in Jesus, he died this bloody, gruesome, horrific death under the frown of God for all that we have done, so that through him now we come with full assurance, God, anything that would have separated me from you is done away with. Actually, Jesus owns it, and he died for it and secured it for ne- to never speak against you forever and ever. Anything you've ever done wrong, all the sins, all the shame, it never can say, ah, 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 ah. Now we come fully and freely into God's presence in Jesus. Which is why in the book of Acts, chapter 2, you ever wonder why the Holy Spirit comes and he takes on this form of burning flames? <laughs> because now God's presence is with us. right? The Holy Spirit comes and dwells among us. That is the beginning of the full presence of God. Right? The Bible doesn't use images for no reason. When the Holy Spirit comes and dwells in little flames on their head. Remember that Acts chapter two. That is a that is a picture from the end of of Exodus, the of God coming down in the fire, and dwelling among them and filling them. Right. So we get into God's presence not because we deserve it, not because we've earned it, but it's because Jesus has opened the gate. He's opened the door. We can't get in without Jesus we get in freely with Jesus and we get everything with Jesus because a part of the book of Exodus is this recreation, right? this renewal and it's moving towards the final day when we will see Jesus face to face and God will come down book of Revelation says that he comes down and wipes the tears from our eyes sits next to us and welcomes us to his table to eat the final meal with him to enjoy his presence with us in the renewal of all things. The world will have been renewed. There will be no more sin. There will be no more death. There will be no more cancer. There will be no more diseases. There will be no more car wrecks that takes our our family away. There will be no more shame. There will be no more guilt. There will be no more awkwardness, hopefully. There will be nothing that will separate us from God's presence because we get in through Jesus. And we enjoy his presence with us. This is why I want to end on this note of gratitude. When we look at this huge story. I don't know how else to end this. But just to say. Guys. Shouldn't we be grateful? <laughs> I'm not saying that to berate us. But to stir our faith. God, Guys. God has. for Of all people. Us. <laughs> and I'm not saying that kind of like. Yeah, everybody in the world, yay, great. No, you specifically. He has done this great story. His gospel mission is to seek and save the lost and make them sons and daughters of the living God. He has pursued us in Jesus to to, to, to remove all that separates us. The dominant mark of our spiritual lives, maybe maybe today more than ever, right? I don't know what your Facebook feed looks like. My Facebook feed looks pretty angry. The dominant mark of our lives in Jesus. (laughs) Gratitude. I do not deserve the air I breathe. I love that song. I'm desperate for God. I don't deserve the air I breathe. I don't deserve the food that I get to stuff into my face. I don't get to, not only just the food, but the flavors and the goodness of what they are. God, I don't deserve these mercies. I don't deserve to know you to have a bible in my language to be able to read and to see you face to face i don't deserve to have your presence here among us i don't deserve to have hope for tomorrow that you haven't forgotten me i don't deserve but god would say i still desire to give and give and give gratitude <laughs> what is what is set about making habits of gratitude because of all that God has done for us and he continues to I, hope that I, I need your guys' help for my own soul's sake to grow in gratitude I want, us, I want us to remember this let us not forget what God has done for us and then a final appeal I think from the book of Exodus by getting in are you following him? I don't want to assume that. Here they end the book of Exodus. God's presence among them and they followed him wherever he went. Are you following him? Have, have, you, have you turned away from your sin? Are you, are you obeying him? Are there, are there areas of your life where you need to say, God, I have an idol here. I'm, af- I'm afraid. I don't know how to do my life without this priority. God says, you can't lose with me. But are you following him? Let us be grateful that all this, I just, I just I, this is in the back, all the ways that we see the gospel in this book, gratitude for the magnitude of all that God has done for us in Jesus. That's the gospel we've been looking at in the book of Exodus. I pray that by God's grace, we will remember it tomorrow and the next day, and it will become sweeter. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the book of Exodus as we have looked at this book together and we have dwelled upon your goodness. Father, would we would we smile at the glory of all you've done for us? Who are we, God? Oh Father. Would you give us a special taste of your spirit right now? A special joy in seeing who you are in Jesus. Thank you. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. Please feel free to share or distribute this content, but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission. King's Cross Church exists to treasure